Hey, this is the first episode of the Beat Motel podcast. So what the fuck is this about? Well, for one thing, there might be some swearing. Beat Motel is a zine, or was a zine, is a zine in my own head. My name's Andrew Culture, and this this is not going anywhere, but I don't care. It is what it is. <laughs> trying to be all professional about it, and it's not going to be that kind of podcast. So what this podcast is about, it is a zine. It's about music and surrounding things. And I'm one of the hosts. And I say my name's Andrew Culture. My fellow host, I would like him to introduce himself now. Come on, fellow host, introduce yourself. Uh, hello, my name is Sam. I've never done this sort of thing before. Uh, I am a music geek. I have previously written uh, for Beat Motel itself. Um and I tried to be a music journalist, but I was never very good at liking music other people liked. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good description of. So who who did you? Might as well, we're gonna, there's going to be some name dropping in this podcast. So what, what titles other than Beat Motel did you write for? I wrote for. Um, I, I was just before the 2008 financial crash. I, I wrote for Terrorizer, and um, I did a few interviews for them with. Uh, Particularly the last one I do, I did, I remember was called uh, Rota Massey, who are still going and have mm. put out really interesting albums in the last few years. And, um, and mo- but mostly it was reviews because, uh, I mean, I'm not very good at understanding scenes and therefore my interests sort of go quite erratic. Um, as you probably hear in a bit, um, they sort of jump between at the moment, death metal and folk music, like 19, uh, yeah, American folk music. Um, So I was never very good at sort of following scenes. So when they sort of said, who wants to interview these people? I didn't know who the fuck they were. (laughs) I didn't, all the years that I ran, I beat my tail master run from 2004 to 2008, I guess, which was 10 10, uh, episodes, I know, 10, 10 editions. And the amount of times a PR agent would contact me and go, "Hey, do you want to speak to this band?" I'm like, "I've never heard of them." And then, like yeah. six months later, I'd hear them on hear them on the radio or see them on TV and go, "Oh, I remember speaking to those guys. They probably thought I was a right to wear." Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, I, I managed to talk to a few bands that I I sort of admire quite a lot. Death by Stereo, who I Ooh. sort of have a they put out some amazing albums, God, a few years ago. But I don't know, they just sort of don't seem to have much self-awareness, uh, I think, which is, I think plagues a lot of American bands as they get older, uh, particularly like scene bands. Um, they sort of don't seem to have much self-awareness and just sort of ride down the cliches, <clears throat> rancid. And um, <laughs> then I also interviewed Linville Golding for the specials, who was the nicest guy ever, who was, um, I did that for uh I was trying to I was trying to become a qualified journalist. I failed at that front because I couldn't get shorthand. Um, but I did it for sort of a student project, and it was published uh, on our old zine site, punknews.org.uk, If I, I remember correctly, no, it was punknews.co.uk, Because I, I eventually, checked, I, eventually. Oh no, you're right. It did start off as org.uk. Yeah. I checked. I checked the domain. Yeah. A few days ago, because I've been going through a process of, of, of taking down loads of my websites and putting them in one place, which is a lawsy.com, lawsy with an SI. 
SIE. And it was partly through finding old interviews with it that I'd done and really liked, bands like Inner Terrestrials, Crime in Stereo, uh, Red Sparrows, which I still can't believe they actually spoke to me, uh, Against <laughs> Me, all these bands. I just thought, shit, we, we ought to we ought to do something with this. And, and I've kind of derailed you a little bit there. Sam, sorry about that. but No, there's some stuff of that I put up there. I mean, I did a really nice interview um, with Lawrence Arms. The guy was in that mode of, can't remember his name but the guy he was really friendly he was the main guy basis of Lawrence Arms and he was in that point of drunkness where he, he was still he still had good diction but he could not stop himself talking <laughs> it's kind of I quite liked interviews like that oh yeah when... I love that stuff you don't have to work at all you just sort of sit there I didn't know you'd interviewed Lawrence, um, the chap from Lawrence Arms. I, I mean, most of this stuff, I, I, I interviewed Delinter Escape Plan as well. Oh, bloody hell, so, really? Were you brave? I didn't really, my problem, oh, well, no, the guy's really nice. I walked in there with a John Coltrane t-shirt my mum had actually given me. Um, my mum went to a jazz festival in Spain, and there was a John Coltrane t-shirt, um, and she gave it to me. She said, I thought you'd like this, and she was right, and probably the only time she's bought me clothing that I thought was nice <laughs> and um and I just sort of walked in there and the bassist who's a nice guy as well I mean they're always nice people um just sort of went oh that's that's cool and uh, yeah that was a nice sort of moment for me but uh I can't remember where I was going with that but um Lawrence, yeah, I I never interviewed people because I was that interested in them. I never interviewed people I was musically that uh, my favorite bands. Hmm. I never interviewed them. I never got to interview them. Did anyone you interview become your favorite band afterwards? No. I mean, I I think (laughs) Dillinger Escape Plan are the band that sort of stayed up there and the specials of specials i thought the second i thought you know the specials the first album's genius and the, the second album has um uh better songs than the first album but the first album is just sort of perfect as an album hmm. and so interviewing Linfall golding who again he's just he, he was so nice but he also shut up <laughs> that was really I you think if, if people in bands have had a, a, you know years of being asked questions and people attentively listening to them, I dread to think what some of them are like in a fish and chip shop. You know, <laughs> what can I get you? Well, and they're still talking five minutes later. But. Yeah, I, I fucking, I just, I just, there's two things on the battered sausage, <laughs> battered sausage. Um, but yeah, I, 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 those interviews where they just sort of, um, you know wouldn't shut up with the nicest ones because it just it just took a lot of pressure off me in a situation I didn't know where I was I mean they yeah um did you interview anybody who became your favorite I guess against me must have been a game yeah Lord Jane Grace absolutely I mean against me were one of those bands that part of the problem with with doing a zine especially if it's a punk orientated zine which I think most always were is that you become exposed to so much hype. And the reason that's a problem if you're into that kind of punk music is you are detumessed by hype. You're kind of put off music by hype. So if everyone was going against me, they, it was their second album on Fat. And just I, I just went just because everyone else was going. You, you went, a whole, a whole load of friends in Brighton were going, and I drove down from Ipswich. And I, I, they said, do you want to interview the singing? And I was like, yeah, sure. 
and then I found out the singer doesn't really like being interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, she didn't back then, but but she was also really, really hungover, <laughs> and, <laughs> but was so charming yeah. and so nice and so so patient with me. Because up until that point, I'd only really interviewed bands who I was friends with or I like knew from down the pub or, or you know, Ipswich had an amazing scene. Sorry, I should just say I'm based in Ipswich. Sam is currently living in Helsinki, but is from all over from the place. Brighton, uh, all over the place, but musically Brighton um, and then London and Brighton is a lot more fun. So I, I, I met up with a, another zine writing fellow called Mafro on the way to the gig. And he, he gave me a tape or possibly a CD of Against Me. So I would put it in the car and car stereos back then were shite. I mean, this was, I don't know, 2004, 2000. I honestly can't remember when it was. And I put it on and I was just like, oh, this is just someone yelling because <laughs> I just couldn't make it out. In, interviewed interviewed uh, Laura Jane, who would say was just lovely, and then saw the band and just got it. You know, sometimes it takes seeing a band live, and I think Against Me is one of those bands. I just got it. I think, I mean, I, w- I remember taking uh, my friend, I don't know if you came to that gig, but I dragged my friend Al uh, to see them, I think last time they played London, because I knew he wouldn't really get, he doesn't like that sort of music, but I think they're such a uh, thing to behold in person. They're just, no one's ever, I've never been to any other concert where, you can get how many, ever many people are in that venue, and the whole crowd are singing it. You get mm. mosh pits localized, but you have this whole sort of several hundred up to a thousand so people singing almost every single line, particularly of the early records. Um, I I understand why people don't get that first record. It sounds like shit. It's oh, sh- but they, they've they've said it oh. sounds like shit. They're, yeah, they're, it's I've... it's worse than St. Anger, man. Is it James Bowman, the guitarist? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah, he he I said he said, "What the fuck were we thinking with that snare noise?" So the first Against Me album, uh, reinventing Axl Rose, it has a snare noise that it, tell you what it cuts through me like the sound of. Uh, I should just say I'm a parent before the next sentence. It cuts through me like the sound of boys <laughs> under ten when they scream. It just mm. slices straight, and that snare has that effect. But yeah, they agree. <laughs> they also yeah. nice, but there so. was something about the energy of that band. They, they, I think they were aiming for uh, how they felt live, and they got something of that. So I listened to that album, and I just did not understand the sound of it. But there was something in the performance, particularly of Laura Jane Grace's performance and James Bowman, um, his his sort of backing vocals and their complement, and I love that sound together. There's something about the way their vocals sort of marry. Order uh, in, in the music is just sort of it just sends sort of shivers up your spine. I, st- I still love James. I think it's amazing that James Bowman. I'm going to say I don't think he's been in any other bands, or or I certainly haven't heard him playing other any other bands. I'd love to be disproved. I heard a brilliant podcast episode with him a while ago it was mostly about baseball so I sort of <laughs> I didn't follow it that well but he was sort of explaining some of the early days of Against Me and how he came to be in the band and he was basically a hired hand I think you might have sent me the link to this podcast no, I remember actually. I remember him saying that he was uh he basically he just basically flagged his way in he was good mm. friends with Laura Jane Grace and just sort of went I want to do this and he doesn't seem to be someone who 
uh, it was always interesting, sort of watching against me from afar, because they always he was always so sort of like he was like the mysterious one, because <laughs> he he seemed to be so key to things, but also so quiet. Once they were off stage, he he seemed to sort of avoid any interviews or anything like that. And now he's got this pedal business, so he's mm. I think he's trying to push himself a bit more, but. What's it I called? Think, is it Westbury? Oh, was it Westboro Appliance Company or something like that? Bowman, Bowman, I don't know, Bowman things. I'm going to look it up. You carry on talking. I'm going to search it. No, I was going to do that. You're the host. I'm the co-host. I get to look <laughs> things up. Yeah. So on on that podcast, I was kind of quite surprised in a way to find out how sort of lovely and charming and 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 personable. I didn't think he wouldn't be personable. I just think some people are just quite happy to to watch a room and don't feel the need to impose themselves on it in any way. And I think he's probably like that. Yes, I think so. And therefore you sort of, I think he's the sort of person you have to go to rather than he comes to you. Mm. Uh, it's so um, weird. If, if he's listening to this, it would just yeah. be... <laughs> also, if you're listening to this, please come and say hello. Uh, we'd love to talk to you, I think uh, it's fair to say. Also about Bowman Audio Endeavours. That's his company. That's the one. I, I knew it was... I knew it was I knew it had a word like endeavours or appliance or something in it. Uh, yeah, so we ought to talk a little bit about about what the Beat Motel podcast is going to be about. Um, well, we're going to explore it as it goes along, but Sam just uh, made an invite to James, James Bowman. Yeah, we'd absolutely love to speak to people. Sam and I have a lot of common ground with our music interests, but also quite a lot of separate interests. So we are both the host. Most episodes will probably have both of us on. Some episodes will just have Sam, Sam with guests. Some episodes will just be me, me with guests. It's going to be a fairly fluid thing, but we do want collaborators. We do want people to to get involved with this, not just people in bands, but just people with strong opinions. And, and music is something that it's okay to get offended about. I think yeah, I mean, worse than not being offended by music. Oh, I remember the last review I wrote. Uh, for a online that is the last sort of struggle at being a, a music journalist and I just sent the, sent the CD back to the editor saying it doesn't make me feel anything I'm just bored Ooh, I can't. That's, that's, that's amazing that's quite scathing I, I said I can't I can't she asked for 300 words minimum and I said I cannot think of 300 words to write about this this, it this was is why, so like, boring. That, like, the, if you're writing for an actual magazine, then, then obviously you you have to follow editorial guidelines. But one of the things that I first really loved about zines was just how honest some of the reviews were. There was a brilliant one in a, a zine called Real Overdose, which is really the it was the gateway drug that got me into zines. I'd unknown about zines for a long time, but the guy who who wrote it was a guy called Wolfie, and he was in a band called the Stupids, who were kind of like UK. I never think it was UK hardcore. They're like skate hardcore or something. And he wrote a review about, he got sent, I think, a Maroon 5 album. Something, if you do a zine, you used to get CDs just pour through your letterbox, most of which had nothing to do with anything you'd like. And he wrote a review, and I'm going to paraphrase it because I can remember most of it. And the review went, you know, recently I've been seeing a bit more of my family 
And I think that's really nice. But, you know, summer's coming and I've also got some things to think about in the garden. There's been a shed at the bottom of the garden for a while that I haven't been into. In fact, I'm not sure if the door still opens. But, you know, there's, there's probably some, I think I've got a bike in there or something. But anyway, next Saturday, Ipswich Town are playing playing Manchester City. And I might go to that, I might not. Anyway, Maroon 5 shit. <laughs> oh, I blew the last line. But the, the whole point was that it was this whole rambling thing that just had nothing to do with it. It just said Maroon 5 are fucking shit at the end oh, of it. I, I, there was someone who did that. I, I can't remember who did. There was some... Uh, I I loved... It was Metal Hammer. When I was a teenager, Metal Hammer at some point employed a singles reviewer. I don't know who for the life of me it was, but they just wrote the most irrelevant shit. <laughs> and it was the best part of the magazine by, you know, a country mile. It was just, Is Metal it, Hammer still going? Yeah, but, you know, I don't... I mean, I, you might follow them on Instagram, but who... I don't know. I I, I struggle to buy... I think I, I struggle to buy music magazines um, because all the old rock ones go through the same six artists mm-hmm. again and again and again. Yeah. And all the modern ones, I just don't feel any connection with. I, mean, I think this goes back to the beginning of... We're both very sort of close to emotionally the punk and I think sort of some parts of the metal world, but I don't think either of us feel part of those scenes in a way um, because it's you get sort of this impression that that's all people do. <laughs> it certainly felt that way with, with sort of some of the anarcho bands. Yeah, band, band Inner Terrestrials absolutely bloody love that band. But I, I, I spoke to Jay, the singer. I interviewed him, and I said about him, he talks a lot about the traveller community, and I said it's not something I really know a lot about, and because that's such a big part of what they do, it does make me feel a bit excluded. I mean, it's not mm. his responsibility to include me in fucking anything he ever does, but it was the same around the squat scene. Like going to gigs in squats was always cool, but I kind of thought I'm not, I'm not, I don't look, I probably look like someone's dad's wandered in waiting to pick up their kids. And um, that was even when I was in my twenties. I guess that's the thing. So I, I don't know. It's like, I remember, um, I, this American death metal band, the Black Dahlia Murder, who lost their singer, I think, last year. Um, but he was, you know, one of the best uh, metal frontmen I ever saw. And he tried to sort of cultivate a much more sort of punk thing of like scene, scene them in. He seemed to try to do that. But, and I, there was, there's like a nice interview with him in a, at his home in, um, in his flat and he's got all these like just wall upon wall upon wall of just death metal stuff and it's all and I just thought don't you just want to listen to some fucking Otis Redding sometimes I I get I get really compressed by music so where where we are we're at, I'm actually in my work office I work for myself and I've got massive speakers here an old you know early 80s separate system and I can listen to music very very loud if there's no one else in, in the other rooms around me. I mean, like, shockingly loud. And I can't listen to black metal or death metal or anything that intense for more than about 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. I just have to stop. I have to just... It's too It's too compressing. It's too intense. But 
to your to your point, I don't think either of us have ever been particularly tribal around music. Yeah. I mean, the punk, I think that's the, punk the word I was looking for. That's a good word. The the punk thing for both of us. I mean, that's how we met many many God knows how many years ago, and. But that was more the social side of things than anything else. I don't think it was particularly us all getting together and pouring over subhumans lyrics or, <laughs> or skate punk or whatever, love subhumans, or whatever it would have been. But I think now kids kids aren't as tribal about music, and I don't think anyone is. And I think that, pos- apart from possibly metalheads, <laughs> um, some mm. metalheads, but I think it's kind of a good thing because I can remember I grew up as an indie kid, which was the worst form of elitism because basically if we if so, if it didn't come out of manchester in 89 or 1990 we didn't like it and i remember the first time i heard the small faces and just going this is so much better than anything <laughs> else i've ever heard it took me a lot longer to kind of come around to metal but you know i'm, I'm a parent and, and my daughter music's music there is no tribe at all well i mean yes i, I agree but it's also like when you're <laughs> For me, moving around, I moved around. Uh, my dad was a foreign correspondent and author, and I moved around a bit growing up. And music became this identity to cling on to when I moved to somewhere. And at the same time, um, whilst it gave me, and it gives me, you know, having moved to Helsinki three and a half years ago, uh, and it, um, moving to London, moving to Brighton, it gives me something it gave me something to hang my coat on in a way but most of my friends closest friends don't necessarily see eye to eye with me about music i might uh, i mean actually that's a lie so my my three my three closest friends spread out but my brighton friends uh, for the majority don't None of them came to a gig with me the entire time I was lived there for. Well, I've known them, which is 23 years now, apart from maybe Blur, um, when they had lost Graham Coxon, and that was shit. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I don't know, the, the, the friends who are into the same music, which is you and my friends Al and Lawrence, it feels like... Um, there is a lot of crossover, but also that there's like a there is this sort of like yeah, it's all it's about the music. It's not you it's not about the scene thing. But those scenes when you're a teenager, when you're in your twenties, uh, particularly if you're active within those music scenes, it gives you something to cling on to. It gives you something to hang your coat on, and it's so important to have those things. But it's also I don't know. I was. I always sort of think I'm always much more into sort of the artistry of music making than I am into sort of the reproduction of sounds. I don't understand the idea of. I've been looking at band adverts today. I don't understand the idea of these people going, "Oh, we want to. We want to sound exactly like this." You know, oh, we want to sound like Metallica or Children Bottom or any of these things. I just, I just don't really get that mental that 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 sort of mindset um i get the idea of we want to make a noise like or we, this is a starting point but i don't understand we want to it, make technical death metal all that like it, it's a challenging thing i should, should also say to listeners that sam and i are both both musicians we've both done a lot of recording and, and playing live and i think i've had two approaches to being in a band 
on the whole in my life. When I was much, much younger, I wanted to make music that wasn't like anything that had ever come before it, which meant that we had a band uh, called Junk Culture that no one liked, uh, <laughs> including the people in the band, I think. But then every band after that has had an aesthetic to start with um, that that we have used as a kicking off point, but we haven't necessarily stuck with. So somebody's in the office. I forgot to put my uh, my on air thing. Hello, I'm just going to say hello to someone. Hello, Richard. Hello. So we're doing a doing a, a we're converting a Beat Motel into a Zine podcast. Yeah, but. Oh, did you, did you, yeah, you just said he loved B-Motel. So that, that's a good start. <laughs> well, let's ruin that love. <laughs> Cheers, Richard. Um, sorry, I decided not, not to kind of cut anything out. But yeah, I've got a little sign that I'm supposed to switch on behind my head that says on air so that if somebody walks in, they know I'm recording. Um, I completely lost it. Yeah, so using an aesthetic as a kicking off point. But you know, the idea of saying we want to be exactly like this thing, I think why not just listen to the thing? If yeah. you want to sound exactly like, I don't know, Emperor, for one thing, you're probably not going to be able to do that. <laughs> but it's another thing, well, why not just listen to Emperor and make something new? Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's sort of a, there's an interesting sort of, you know, have you seen those videos uh, everywhere on YouTube, you know, one band in the style of another, which is basically, uh, it's that's that's fucking... That's a game by you know. That's a that's a game on that Radio Four program. What's it called? Oh. Well, sorry, I haven't got a clue. Yeah, it but is they, completely right. I didn't yeah, realize people have started to make this into a career. So you have this like, person who does like a Queen song in twenty four styles, anything other than Queen, and you think one, you think. You know, it's like, I, I don't know, when you get someone, you get a band that has got a genuinely unique style. I don't think, like, it must be limite- limiting, but at the same time, you know, this is sort of the, the I don't know, uh, trying to think this out clearly. Basically, you had Queen, who could do anything they wanted, Um when they wanted really and that was both good and bad um but they were amazing musicians and amazing songwriters and then you have something like Meshuggah which is just incredible sort of intense experience but frankly and I'm dying to I mean I'm really looking forward to seeing them but fuck me I couldn't tell you for the most part one album from another no no not at all I'm I'm, I'm with you there I think my favorite bands are probably like long-term bands are probably bands that don't stick to an aesthetic. So against me, we mentioned earlier, first every album, album is different. Yeah. Every album is different. It's, it's part of the same thing. The replacements is another really good example yeah. of that. The yeah, replacements nice. go, go from ratty black, black flag type punk and end up sounding like Bon Jovi, <laughs> which, um, yeah, thanks to Simon Fimbo from uh, he's the singer of uh, my band These Are End Times for pointing out that later era replacement sounds like Bon Jovi. I can't unhear it. Yeah. You, Simon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean it's the same. Like, um, I, I can't I, as a musician, I can't get over Queen because of the I you know I, I regard them more as sort of uh, I guess composers rather than songwriters. 
because there's so much depth in the music. They have this completely over-the-top sort of fun side that you can get into, or they have this really sort of clever musical side that you can really sort of geek out on. And it's very easy to do both of them. And, you know, every album, uh, particularly after the first four, is like a completely different identity. And it's hit and miss, but they have bravery. And then you have... Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. But then you have bands like... I don't know. Some of these bands... That, are you, on, I understand, you know, some of these bands like Metallica, biggest probably biggest band on the planet who just sort of stand aside apart from everything. They, and I was, I'm, I'm fine with load and reloaded because I was a teenager when they came out and I didn't know anything else for shit. And so they, some of those songs really stand out as really well put together songs, but there's also a desperation in their last three, four albums to one, try and get back to a teenage them. Mm. And also, like I don't know, it's just it, it. Someone said to me, it's all about the bassist and what the bassist brings, and um, like I, yeah, yeah. So it's really, it was a really smart. It was some, it was some YouTube thing. But it's a really smart analysis that if you listen to, uh, I watch too much music shit on YouTube. Um, if you if you listen to who the bassist is, they sort of the composition follows that so you have the first bassist who had apparently a bit of classical training so Burton and the music has an orchestral sort of flow to a lot of the composition and a lot of the arrangement to it and it goes up and down and loud and quiet and then you've got Jason Newstead who was a great bass player but didn't have that sort of eye for dynamic and they became meaty and they had this meaty rock and then the least less said about Sintanga, in my opinion, the, the the better. But at the same time, it's it shapes the modern era where they lose a sense of dynamic. And then the the basis for Sintanga was I'm I'm not a Metallica fan. Just just to say, I, I don't get it. I wouldn't say I'm not a fan. I I, I wish them no ill. <laughs> but I, it doesn't it doesn't tickle me me cobblers. Um, well, St. Anger, I, I watched, I, I, I survived the documentary, <laughs> and they didn't have a bassist, really. But it was Bob Rock. Yeah, well, I did like that Scott Reader from Caius popped up as a potential new bassist. That would have been weird. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is that they do, like, their, their 90s stuff does have, like, a stonerish element to the sort of the, the Black Sabbath-y element to sort of the groove of it. And... Then they got Robert, uh, I can't pronounce his name, so I apologize, Robert Tejillo, uh, who was in the Suicidal Tendencies, who, as a bass player, and we're both bass players, we're supposed to think is amazing. And I have no doubt that he's an excellent musician, but I've just never clicked with his playing. And I've never thought it was that level of, like, clever if you will, um, like, uh, yeah. Um, and so the music's got a lot better, but it, there's still sort of something lacking in it. And um, I don't, I, I really could not tell you what it's about. Can, can we do, I'm just making a few notes as we go along here about things that I might like to do a, sp a specific episode on. And I think... Sure. I think Metallica would be a, a really interesting one to do, mainly because it's not 
they're not a band that, that I'm into. And I quite like the idea of not necessarily you're trying to convince me, but for me, you were, talk, you were talking about how you're not necessarily interested in the mechanics of how a recording is made. It's, you know, but right, you were saying earlier that that how you feel about a band isn't necessarily fueled by the same things that other people might like about a band. And one of the things I've identified with the music I like is quite often if a friend talks to me at length about a band, I'll end up <laughs> loving the band. You know, there's there's got to be an initial kind of like twang or the initial kind of interest. But yeah, if you anyone could sit me down and talk to me about a musician or a type of music, and I'd probably end up loving it. Because for me, kind of music, although not tribal, is is a social thing, it is a part of the experience. Yeah, certainly. You know, you I, I certainly find myself, you know, when I'm hanging out with certain people, there's things that I go naturally towards, which, you know, and, and part of it is trying to sort of find a click with my friends who are into those things. So, um, I don't know, it, it's something, it's certainly something to talk about, you know, the, with friends. And um, having said that, you know, the, the tracks that you've, uh, that you asked for earlier, I like, I haven't really talked about those things because I'm feeling a bit isolated out here in Finland, um, which is an easy thing to do in the winter, believe it or not. And um, oh, that looks safe. Um, sorry, the, the next You're door's out the window. Yeah, next door's uh, daycare um, uh, have just introduced a trampoline with no sidings to it. <laughs> it You're not like out neck deep in snow at the moment. I know it's all thawing out. It's sort of it's very it's very moist outside. Oh, right. Okay, I tell you what we do because we we talked um, we talked for a while now, and this is only our sort of intro our intro episode. Yeah. What I think would be quite a nice thing to do, um, as Sam just alluded to, I asked him to choose some tracks. We want to give you a sample of the sort of music we're into, which is impossible with three tracks. Yeah. But current Sam- music music we're into at the moment. Yeah, no, I think I think Today. that is probably a better way of doing it because there's always an album I haven't listened to for many years that that doesn't mean I don't love it. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to play the first of Sam's tracks. I've got them lined up here like a, a proper podcast host. And the first one is by Cruelty, and it's called Maze of Suffering. Now, we can only, you should say, actually, for licensing reasons, we can't play more than 30 seconds of any music. So I've picked 30 seconds more or less at random from all these tracks. So I apologize in advance if it's just a slow bit or an outro. <laughs> I've tried not to do that. Anyway, so first up, we have Cruelty, Maze or Suffering. I'm going to play it. And then, Sam, I'm going to ask you to very briefly tell us a little bit about it and why you like it. Here we go. Oh, that ended a bit abruptly, didn't it? That must be the 30-second <laughs> markup. So, God, tell us a bit about cruelty. 
So they're a Japanese band. Uh, they have a curious thing on a lot of their merch, which is JP Hardcore. And I would say you can hear like the beat down hardcore side of it, but it's much more death metal sonically. The vocal, it's, yeah, it's just, I haven't heard a death metal album in, I like death metal. I haven't heard a death metal album that like dirty. It reminds me of Cannibal Corpse you know early cannibal corpse um there's a groove to it but it's not groove metal it's it's like pre pantera groove metal and there's a hardcore sort of beat down aspect to it and it's just i don't know i can't it's just fucking rips i, just can't I like it it's, it's just heavy yeah fuck. It's, yeah. it's demolishing and, and i love that i think i didn't get a lot of music like this uh, near the time, you know, sort of late 80s, I was too young, but early 90s, because I don't think the production was there. Yeah. I think that I, kind I, of thing, that's why I don't get the true cavalt, uh, the true cult kind oh. of metal, because it just sounds cacked. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the, th- that's the thing. I go back to a lot of, like, um, yeah, I've gone back to a few of those sort of early sort of classic things. Like, frankly, Napalm Death sounded shit until some point in the mid-90s. <laughs> and that first album of Napalm Death, I don't care who you are, the fucking drummer's the only person who can play on that album. And um, he was the only surviving member who went on to record the next album, I think. Um, really? Yeah. Well, he, yeah he, was, they, he was the, the meat of the band, really. Yeah. And and I'm sorry, like, that album's sh- shit, frankly. Scum, you know, is a, um, you suffer... Uh, is is a hilarious track, but that's about the level the band could get. And if you listen to the last few Napalm out like Napalm Death albums, they've hit a sound, yeah, but it's incredible sound as well. We um, need a grindcore, yeah, and they, they, yeah, and they they also continue to experiment. And some of those more experimental, non growling tracks are some of the best tracks they've done in the last few years. Uh, but no, this 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 um, you're right. The production, uh, the production brings it up, and they do this sort of nice. That's not, you know, it's not too clever. It's not too sort of technically sort of alienated. It is just meat and potatoes, balls to the wall, um, ovaries to the wall, whatever you want to say. Um, Bits to the wall, bits to the wall. <laughs> Secondary, no, primary sexual features to the wall. Um, okay, let, let's let's move on to um to your next track. This is "What's He Doing in My World" by mm. Eddie Arnold. Play your bugger, go on. Oh, here we go. What's he doing in my world? What's he doing holding my world? If he's not, I really can't figure out what that that's that song's about. I listened to the whole thing to to clip that bit out of it, and I think it's about being a cockolded man. 
Oh, right. I just thought, because how old is it? I mean, it doesn't sound new. No, it's. I think it's. It's like 1950s, maybe. It's. It's one of the things that apparently produced what's called. And I got this from Wikipedia, so it's not special knowledge. It's one of the things that produced uh, the Tennessee sound. What's called in country music the Tennessee sound. Oh, so the Tennessee sound. I can sort of hear, not quite a slide guitar, but there is, as in the instrument slide guitar, but there is sliding notes being played on yeah, a guitar. Yeah, and I think it's the orchestration of it as well. Like there's a big sound to it. It's quite smooth, so it's very much more produced than a lot of, a lot. You know, it's a much more studio sound than um, a lot of, say, country music might have had back then. Uh, say compared to Willie Guthrie or. Uh, rockabilly, all that stuff, which sounds quite live. Yeah, I wouldn't have placed it as that old, actually. I would have said, just on production, certainly no newer than mid-60s. I didn't realise it was that old. That That's that's quite amazing production for something of that age. Right, let's move on to Mr. Selak, uh, which is a song about... 1965. Was it really? God, do you, yeah. do you know what? How spot-on was I there? Um <laughs> So the next one is a, 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 a song about Magnum P.I., and it's called Mr. Selak. <laughs> it's not at all. It is called Mr. Selak, and it's by the – is it Roaches or Roaches? It's R-O-C-H-E-S. American. Oh, well, how would they say Roaches? It's their surname, well, yeah. apparently. Oh, it was saying, yeah, I'm, I'm in Suffolk, and how we write things down and how we say and bears no resemblance well, to each other. English language, though, mate. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We've managed to damn the whole English language. Let's listen to this band. Here we go. You know what I'm going to say? Well, first of all, that reminds me of the Staves, uh, which is a band, band I like, which is three women. But also, that style of singing, I've only just recently got into Richard Dawkins. Is it Dawkins or Dawson? Uh, Dawkins. Dawson. The, the, Dawson. Not, Richard Dawson. Not, I, not, yeah. the, um, not the guy who's, who's anti God, um, the, the other guy, the singer from, from Newcastle. But the, the way that he sings. Dawson. Dawson. That's it. Yeah. But he sings in this brilliant way where the lyrics don't rhyme and he gives precedence to a story being told. Incidentally, I'll put a link in the show notes, but the episode of Adam Buxton's podcast where he speaks to Richard is mm. just wonderful. It's just a really wonderful thing. His 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 uh, his solo, what's it called? Uh, acapella track on that podcast is breathtaking. It's amazing. Um, it's just the, the guts to perform that way. It's, it's so cool. Yeah, but so the Rochers were sisters. They're all three sisters. That album is their first album under that name, and it was produced by Robert Fripp of uh, King Crimson, no less. What? You're kidding yeah. me. I, I've uh, seen the clip, and it looked to me like it was... I thought that genuinely was 1950s. Uh, no, that was that's late 70s. Bloody hell, really? That's such a shock. And it's a magnificent album. It, you're right. It has something about that. You know, Richard Dawson has something about that sort of strange, there's such a strange aspect to the lyrics. It's about a song about a woman trying to get her summer job back, I think. And 
it's and also the I don't know the the vocal harmonies are incredible on that album and there's sort of a sense of humor running throughout it and they I don't know the the vocal harmonies just take me and then Robert Fripp's production like particularly the music behind it is just um spot on including the uh there's a moment where he references, if he's playing the guitar on it, I'm not sure, but there's sort of a moment on that album where it sounds almost exactly like a Brian May guitar solo. Um, I wouldn't expect that from just having heard that clip. No, but it's a, it's a beautiful album and it's a wonderful album and it's a discovery um, I made a few months ago and I just can't stop listening to it. Um, it's, I'm going to list these song choices in the, uh, in the show notes so that, that you guys can look, up, look them up. But I think this is about that gets to me. It's like song choices, but actually, I've, all of these I've consumed. Like it's quite a, that one was easy to pick the lyric of. I mean, the last two songs easy to pick the songs of um, in a weird way. But the, with uh, cruelty, I, I mean, I, I listen to albums still. I can't get into this single song I like single apart from early country music, which seems to go by singles, not albums. Oh, yeah. no, there weren't any albums, really, mm. were there? Okay, cool. So there, there's your three. So it's a bit What's of a snapshot. Well, for my first one, this is uh, it's actually taken from a live set. It's a guy who goes by the name of Rival Consoles. And I think it's safe to say I'm probably a bit more into some electric music, electric, electronic music than, than Sam. But this is just a, a, just a cool bit, I think. I'll, I'll tell you a bit more afterwards. Here we go. really does slam the door when it gets to 30 seconds doesn't it <laughs> um the reason i chose that i do I, I love electronic music but i it comes very much from a love of, of bands and it probably comes from a love of, of some sort of prog type music you know the sort of music that 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 builds to a release which is why i chose i managed to choose that that specific bit there and that affection actually came from some indie bands in the 90s like verve who seemed to be just doing this really odd type of prog, and it took me years to realise it actually was kind of proggy. So I just I just chose that one at random. You got anything to say about that? Uh, yeah, you made me feel really like so accessible with my music choice. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, I mean, like, yeah, I I got that was um, uh, what do I mean? Oh, it's just like to me, it's very accessible listening to sort of vocals and guitars and you know regular rhythm, whereas that was quite there was quite a lot of uh, non regular instrumentation going on there. I certainly see that from the instrumentation, but no, you're right. The timing, I'd never really considered that before. But anyway. If that one wasn't accessible, the next one, it's a band called Gay Rear um, and a bit of a song called Memoir, which is the first track of their their new album. 
And this type of metal I didn't really get until I saw it live. And I saw this band, Gay Rear, yeah, quite a big band now. But I saw them in a very small venue in Ipswich. And, and this podcast is going to be rife with both Sam and I talking about bands that we saw in really small venues because that's part of our elitism and that's just the way it is. Okay, here's a bit of... Let's do a whole three hours on that. That'd be great. <laughs> okay, here's a bit of memoir by Gay Rear. Well, it, me, even two years ago, would have listened to that and gone, what the fuck is that? But holy shit, that, that actually I gives mean, me an adrenaline spike when I hear that. The, the 80s drum sound to the toms, come on. I Again, this is <laughs> such the joy of, of sharing music. I didn't, we, we could see each other on video, and during the start, <laughs> Sam was doing the whole 80s, uh, Phil Collins, Phil, do, 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 do. I was like, yeah, he's right, isn't he? I put that song on in this room when I was here by myself really loud, and I had to switch it off because it, it genuinely scared me. <laughs> it kicked in for that bit. I actually yelped. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's... Um, yeah, so we, we've had like country, like alt country, I suppose. We've had some. Um... No, it was it was mainstream. That was a big country song. I know nothing about country at all. I, I genuinely, I went to Tennessee years ago with some friends, and I wasn't. Re- I didn't really care about country music at the time, and now I'm into like Hank Williams and all this sort of early country music stuff. And now I, I'm, I'm probably never going to go back to Tennessee again. <laughs> so I going, think... around, going around the Music Hall of Fame, Country Music Hall of Fame, completely wasted. I enjoyed myself a lot, but I didn't know who the fuck these people were. I, I genuinely think country music, for me, is like Rush. At some point, I'm probably going to get it. And then I'll probably never shut up about it. Oh, I just, I can't, I've tried to listen to Rush. I love hearing them. That documentary on Netflix is great. Uh, but, and I love hearing snippets. Whole things of theirs, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's too, I don't like prog. It's not, it's, it's, I just can't get into it past the first King Crimson album. I, I really run hot and cold with it. Some prog I cannot abide if it's got if it's got pan flutes in it, it can fuck off generally. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay, let's let's move on to the next one. Now I'm like I'm just gonna play it without without comment. I'll, call, I'll talk about it afterwards. You all the dying there really will let anyone care. Truth like death comes for everyone. Barely had to summon what was coming, it was creeping on a come up that was right up in your face. Face it, let it resonate up in your bone a minute when your shiver make us live a big enough for it to have a space. Again, very brutal exit there. <laughs> uh, I absolutely adore hip hop. I think it was the first type of music that that I really got excited about. As a very small child, the first album I bought was Raising Hell by Run DMC, stamping around me rural Suffolk bedroom shouting about how I was proud to be something I, I, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that That's 
a track called Nothing Is Safe by a band called Clipping who are on Sub Pop. Mm-hmm. And out of all the hip hop, the reason I chose that clip is that Clipping have their roots in noise music and like electronic noise. And some of the stuff they do is very, very challenging. But that guy's voice, I can't remember his name, his flow and the, and his dexterity, lyrical dexterity and delivery mm. is just unbelievably good. And it's not just that it's fast, because I think speed in any musical delivery isn't a, something to be celebrated just because of its speed. You know, like Jimmy Page's fast solos, I couldn't give a shit. Some of the slower ones can be quite good, but I just love that. I mean, I'm not not really got much else to say about it, really. I think you probably put me onto clipping. Yeah, I, I, I've, there was a moment for me. I, I have a love hate relationship because with it because I didn't understand there was a hip hop underground in the in the late nineties when I was getting into punk rock, and so I got into the punk rock values. And all the mainstream hip-hop was misogynistic. Uh, it really was, yeah. Bullshit. And so it put me off hip-hop for years until my brother put me onto Black Alicious. And so I've sort of had a smattering of interest in a lot of it. And then there was this point with some experimental hip-hop getting over some, you know, getting out of, I guess, sort of the circles into whatever places i saw them and it was clipping particularly and um danny brown's uh album what's it called i need to look because that i, no, I, I want to hear it if it's it is monumental uh his second album is um the probably my favorite hip hop uh, atrocity exhibition atrocity um, exhibition it is. It is just, uh, and it's not. It's his fourth album, uh, and my favorite album from last year, which was or, or the favorite album I discovered last year, which I can't remember the name of either. So forgive me. I'm going to have to find it. Um, was by a Brazilian musician, and um, it was uh, by. It was called by. Uh, Yura Masao, um, her album is called uh, Delta Estacio Blues, and uh, it used the same, they, they took inspiration from it, and basically it is, I think they, they have the complete songs before they put down any vocals to it, or even thought about vocals, and so you have this really well put together pieces of music that are just pieces of music with these vocals over the top that try to pr- produce a song out of them. And it's a really interesting piece. They're both really I, interesting albums. I really want to dig into that. That that sounds entirely like like something. Um, well, there you go. I told you earlier that if a friend talks with enthusiasm about music, I usually end up loving it. We're kind of out of time here, Sam. And well, we're our, supposed to be twenty minutes. I was going to say our twenty-minute inaugural episodes are. A mere 55 minutes long so far. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just going to say that, that we, we're we going to do this in very much a zine kind of way. We're going to be as regular as we can, but that probably means that we won't be terribly regular. Uh, I do want to hear... Yeah. I don't think either of us can be regular because we've got other stuff to do. Um, I'm going to... I'd love to hear from you. I've set up an email address, which is beatmotel at lawsy.com. So beatmotel is B-E-A-T, 
motel at lawsie, L-A-W-S-I-E dot com. Just contact us. Um, it'll help us come up content ideas. You got anything you'd like to say to sign off? Fuck you all. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs>